Welcome to Season 8 of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, a fascinating journey into the lives of top sports personalities and their connections to Chicago. They reveal entertaining, memorable, and emotional stories many you've never heard before. I'm your host, George Hoffman, and please follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and through our partnership with Last Word on Sports Media Podcast. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is proudly sponsored by Mr. Duct, Chicagoland's premier comprehensive air duct cleaning and ventilation for residential and commercial properties. Their motto is simple. They're upfront and honest. Find them on the web at mrductcleaning.com. This week, we feature the best of season eight, part one. We never go with their personal. We never did. We never, as long as I remember, we never have personal thing with the organization. If there was ever a manager or former manager who belonged on television, it was Ozzy. It is Ozzy. Yeah, you feel like you're being transported back in time. There's an element of it. It feels as though you're on the set of The Natural. Ichiro was the first position player to come over, but we had no idea how good this young ball player was. You know, there was a long time standing in the media, as you know, that suicides were not even reported because they were too afraid it was going to entice other people to do it. Stories of joy, stories of history, and a story of tragedy. Five men, five tales, and all so utterly enthralling. They're priceless, so we decided to begin with two people who appear to be joined at the hip. Ozzie Guillen and Chuck Garfine worked the White Sox pre- and post-game show on NBC Sports Chicago. Their pairing is perfect. The chemistry works. Garfine is a longtime White Sox fan who's covered the team for the last 16 years. Guillen's resume speaks for itself. Star player for the team, managed it to a World Series title in 2005, and for the last several years has worked with Garfine on what has become must-see TV and especially with how disappointing the White Sox have been. We begin with the always outspoken Guillen, who acknowledges how his baseball life has been revived. My best time in, in my life related to baseball is with them. Oh, I love it. I need to find my inner strength. I got to find some balance because the White Sox were 1 and 15, 1 and 16 with scoring yes. positions. Look at me. Linda, please focus me. But we were trying to focus here. <laughs> we we win two out of three in yes. Minnesota. Yes. And look at this. Yes. Yeah. I know they're not playing well because when you have men on second base late in the game, we know out third base, you have to win this game. One thing when I started a job, I told Chuck, I said, we're not a baseball fan. We're not a White Sox fan. Because Chuck, we want to say something. Chuck goes, well, you know, nah, I don't know. No, 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 no. You're an NBC studio. You're not in baseball anymore. You're not, and, and we changed him a little bit. I call Chuck <laughs> Little Hawk. I said, what's up, <laughs> Little Hawk? <laughs> oh, my God. I, you know, we we talking in the media like in 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 the, before the, the, to say okay, Rick Han say this. I don't like. It. I gotta say it. And Rick and, and Chuck go. Ah, I don't know. We sh we should touch that subject. Oh, okay, whatever. Oh, Jerry's do this. One the place do this. We never go with their personal. We never did. We never. I, the long I remember, we never have personal thing with the organization. Our job is to the fans to like it. The people watching us to like it. Because we never gonna to lie to them. I never will. Maybe Chuck will. Frank, I'm not gonna let Frank lie to the fans. We gotta talk fact and we gotta talk about what happened in the game. If we see something happen in the game and you guys not asking, you don't think I gotta jump on it? 
Hell yeah. Let me be cocky now. Mm -hmm. Nobody in baseball, in baseball, Chuck, know this ball club better than Ozzy Guillen. No one. No one. It is going to be real for him say, Ozzy, can you do this? Because nobody, no matter who you call, what you call, if be better managers than me, better person, better whatever it is, but nobody in baseball right now know this ball club better than Ozzy Guillen. Sorry. You know what I mean? Uh, the job I have is uh, is, is something, uh, uh, wow. I, I'm, I'm very lucky to have that job, first of all. But in me, wow, I enjoyed my life uh, and still in the game. Uh, with the uh, with the people at work, very legit people, very nice, very honest, uh, uh, very open. And uh, I, right now, I, I'm living the best life I have in baseball. You have my, my grandkids growing up, and I'm, I'm doing what I want. And family is great, you know I me. Mean? It's, it's something people, they don't know how happy I am because people, when they see me, they see me argument, they see me talking in the papers and go crazy. There are people they don't know how happy I am and how happy uh, my family made me just to be around them. Let me interrupt you for a minute. When you say people see you as crazy, do you think you're crazy? Well, no, I just outspoken. You know I me, mean? leaders, talking about leaders. You know, see, you can see leaders uh, with a lot of problems. You know, see a leader can talk. Every leader around the world, everyone, president, the reason they're president, but they can talk, they convince people. They, they say stuff people they don't know about them. They don't know anything. They know they try to take a step of uh, farther than anyway. Uh, crazy? Nah, not really, because uh, listen, uh, crazy people drink and beat the crap of his wife. Crazy people go out and have kids besides their family. Crazy people forget about paying taxes. Crazy people don't worry, don't care about the kids, their own problems. Uh, no, that's the way people, uh, I, I think, they see me like, uh, well, I'm not talking about crazy Looney Tunes missing something in my brains. Mm -hmm. It's crazy because so many people don't don't are the way they share are they you know I me mean, they just uh I'm different you know what I mean? what I see what I feel I say it but I guarantee you 99 percent I say come out of my mind or my mouth they can say whatever they want but it's 99 percent for sure and a fact I never lied to anyone. You don't like what I say? That's easy. I go to the ballpark every day, say something. Then we talk about it. But what I'm going to say about you, he ain't going to like it. Then, But we have a tough job. Why? Because we're in the middle of the people think we work for the White House. I don't think I work for the White House. My check, paycheck say NBC Sport. Don't say White Sox. And and and, and sort of uh, chop. Then if we say something about the, the, the White Sox, they don't like it. Now they, we are enemy. Or oh, you hate it. We hate you guys. Hate us. I say no, we don't. You want us to talk good about you? That's easy. Play good. It makes sense. We follow this up with Chuck Garfine, whose career included seven jobs in seven cities in seven years. But landing back in his hometown at NBC Sports Chicago turned out to be better than he thought because of his relationship with Ozzy Guillen. No one's really asked me that question. I haven't really fully thought about that, like how our relationship grew and you know where how it became what it is today. You know, I think we just always had a mutual respect for each other. And then when he came, comes over to NBC Sports Chicago, we just had this dynamic a history, so to speak. And it just has evolved. And it's now at a point where, you know, I, I'm trying to compare it to something, but 
he's he's become like a really close friend and someone I truly respect and admire. And I pinch myself that I get to do these shows with him and with Frank Thomas. I mean, there are two guys. If you would have told me 20 years ago, 30 years ago that I'd be doing shows with them, <laughs> I would say I have won life's lottery that I get to do this. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I grew up, I grew up a White Sox fan. I watched Frank Thomas and Ozzie Gein play for the Sox, and now I work with them. It's truly incredible. During your time covering the White Sox, did you ever picture Ozzie and where he's at now and your partner? Never, never, <laughs> ever, ever, ever. Remember how much Ozzie used to rip the media? Well, now he rips them on the air on our pre and post game shows. So I was like, the last thing Ozzy's going to do is become a member of the media. And uh, when I say rip them, like, you know, he ripped Jay Mariotti, you know, like he, he respected what we all did for um, jobs, you know, and he gave us so much, but I never thought he would literally go on TV and do it. And, you know, credit to my boss, Kevin Cross for making it happen. But then you think about it now, if there was ever a manager or former manager who belonged on television. It was Ozzy. It is Ozzy. So it makes perfect sense. But back when I was covering him, I just never thought he would transition from the dugout to doing pre and post game shows with me. And sure enough, it's happened. <laughs> I'm very thankful for that. Is it easier for you to do this when a team is underachieving or bad, or is it easier to do the show when the team is good? I would actually give you the same answer that Ozzie Gian would give about managing. The easiest season I ever had to cover, the easiest season Ozzie Gian ever had to manage was 2005. Mm -hmm. You give me a win and I go on that post-game show, that is the easiest show I can do. It is a love fest about what just happened. It is so easy. You don't have to even think about what you're saying because they just won. And it's it's like going into a winning clubhouse or a losing clubhouse. Very oh, easy to ask questions to players or managers after a win. And I do not like to criticize at all if I don't have to. Uh, but we don't we don't make it personal. We do not make it personal. And yeah, I covered some rebuilds, right? And when the White Sox will lose 99 games, lots of losses there, lots of losses. But when the team is expected to kind of lose, that's one thing. When the team is expected to win and they continue to lose, we had to be authentic, right? And, you know, tell people what we saw. And, you know, I also had to think about, well, I never want to make things personal. I know these guys have jobs to do. Playing baseball, hitting a baseball is the toughest thing to do in sports, right? You know, and I know that, you know, they watch the show. The, the players watch the shows. And you have to keep that in mind. Uh, I'm not trying to hide anything, but, you know, I, I know also who watches the shows and that's the fans. The fans watch the shows. Sure. And if we come across as being cheerleaders, well, that's not very authentic. And I know that the White Sox, I mean, the White Sox did, you know, despite the criticism that they got, I have done this job for you know, doing pre and post game shows for what, how many years it is, 16 years, something like that. Uh, I've never gotten a phone call about what, anything I've said on the air, you know, uh, and I do believe I'm fair. I, I don't, you know, I'm not a, a big hot take guy, um, but I'll, I'll say what I think needs to be said. 
I think a lot of people would certainly stay and watch to see what Ozzy is going to say on the air. Uh, or even they wouldn't even watch the end of the game and they would just flip back over to us to see what we'd <laughs> say on the air. When the, when, the, when the White Sox lose, I, as the host of the show, need to find a way to get you to not change the channel. And when the White Sox lose, how many times do you really want to keep watching to learn more about this loss that just happened? Well, but so, you've got you got Ozzy there and sometimes Frank. But when you have Ozzy there, people probably do want to stay. And the two of you have quite a chemistry. Right. But I can't just say, hey, Ozzy's going to be here. Stay tuned. I got to give you a little bit, a little carrot or two saying, well, Ozzy's not just here, but we're going to talk about this. This is why you need to keep watching. And this is why you need to keep watching. And these are real things, real reasons to do it. So there is uh, there's more to what I'm doing than meets the eye. And what for what all hosts do, you know, you we call them teases, right? When you go to break, don't just say, hey, we're back after this. No, I need to keep you. I want to keep you watching. And that's the other thing is that when the White Sox win, we get we usually get bigger ratings because they just won and people want to hear more about it. But um, where I really have to do my job is after the losses, not only have it be an entertaining, informative show, but get you as the viewer to want to watch the show. When's the last time you had your air ducts cleaned? Here's the best solution, Mr. Duct, a name Chicagoland has trusted for over 20 years. They work on your furnaces, air conditioners, and do repairs, maintenance, and installations. In other words, they're your all-around company for air quality choice and more. Mr. Duct provides on-site commercial ventilation cleaning estimates. You'd be hard-pressed to find better. So give them a call at 888-4-MR-DUCT. That's 888-467-3828. And Mr. Duct is the right choice to clean your residential dryer vents. They do a full inspection to make sure your dryers are running properly. Mr. Duct works with schools, health facilities, and office buildings to make sure you're breathing clean air. Their testimonials are endless, and with good reason. So don't think twice when you're ready to work on air ducts, dry vents, and so much more. Just think Mr. Duct. 888 for Mr. Duck. That's 888-467-3828. And find them on the web at mrductcleaning.com. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 455 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly... Everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. We continue our trek through baseball with John Bugshambi, the voice of the Chicago Cubs and ESPN Radio. Shambi was hired in 2021 after Len Casper, whom he worked with in Miami, left to become the radio voice of the Crosstown White Sox. And Shambi doesn't hesitate when it comes to the magnitude of being one of the play-by-play announcers for the Cubs. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think because of the place, because of the history, and because of the fan base, that sort of combo, um, just the relevance of it. And I think, I think that, you know, part of the reason that goes into it is, you know, the happenstance of the fact that they were on WGN for so long. And so in so many of those markets where 
baseball, you know, Major League Baseball had not, you know, reached with a team, you know, the Cubs caught fans in their WGN netting. So I, I think that the uh, the growth of the Cubs fan base, you know, sort of mirrors, you know, the heyday of, of WGN and, and then put that job in just such a, you know, spotlight. I can remember coming home in the afternoons and uh, being at a friend's house and watching Cubs games. Uh, and, and so that it's, uh, yeah, it's a big deal. What is it about Wrigley Field that makes it unique for a play-by-play guy? I think that just that view, that seat every day, and I think especially, I think the there's a weird part of the job that I think that if you pulled every play-by-play guy in Major League Baseball and you asked them, you got a 7 o'clock game, what's it like getting to the booth at 2 in the afternoon? I think to a man, they would, we would all say, yeah, that's one of the really cool parts of the job. And then when you do that at Wrigley, when it's quiet, when you really get to take in the architecture and just the view in and then beyond the ballpark, it's... Yeah, you feel like you're being transported back in time. There's an element of it. It feels as though you're on the set of The Natural. And the sun cuts through the stands, across the field. It's getting the pitcher for a little while. It's getting the batter for a little while. It's bouncing off the bleachers. And then some of those colors come across, the, you know, the pinks and the oranges and the yellows. And I'm sitting there doing a game. And in between pitches taking pictures on my phone because it's so beautiful and just sending it to people. And I love that. I love that. It, I still am excited to do that, that it's still that, that I can sit in that seat. You know, let's be clear. I had done well over a hundred games at Wrigley field before I ever got the job. And even still now two years plus a little bit, into it there's still plenty of nights when i sit there and whether it's full or empty and it feels completely brand new because it's so beautiful and so special it's the second oldest park in america next to fenway park i don't know if this is a fair thing to ask but i will is there a good comparison between the two um they evoke similar things that's that's for sure i think that the brick part of Wrigley makes it just prettier. I mean, that's always been right there as one of my favorite parks. Again, it's it's got that old-timey feel. It has the signature with the wall. I've told this story before. You know, I've known David Ross since his time in Atlanta, but this is totally true, this story. But it it this is the Fenway version of what I was just saying about Wrigley, and that is we were doing a TV game at Fenway Park a few years back, and we decided to go over a bit early. So we walked over, and the way Fenway works, you go in the press gate behind home plate, and then we decided we wanted to go out onto the field. And so at Fenway, the best way to do that is you basically just go up this subtle ramp that puts you 
behind home plate, but just to the right. So slightly up the first base side. So what that does, and then we were going to go onto the field, the access right by the dugout, the first base dugout, the Red Sox dugout. But what that does is that ramp just to the right of home plate, when you walk up, you're walking straight up. And the first thing you see is the monster. And I still remember it. And Rossi and I have, have talked about it and I've told the story, but so we're doing this game. We get to the ballpark early. You want to go on the field? Yeah, let's go on the field. So we walk and then we walk up the ramp and we both have our suit jackets over our shoulders and we get to the top of the ramp. So now we're on the concourse just to the first base side of home plate and the monsters staring in front of us and now stop and think I've called 150 games of that ballpark. Rossi played in that ballpark, won the World Series in that ballpark, and we both stop, look at the monster, look at each other, smile, and have the same reaction, which is, man, that's cool, isn't it? We resume with the best of Season 8, Part 1, on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. Now we turn to yet another baseball play-by-play announcer who grew up in Chicago but has been the treasured voice of the Seattle Mariners for over three decades. Rick Riz and I were once the voices of Southern Illinois University baseball, but that was sometime back in the last century. Riz has seen it all in the Emerald City, from some of the all-time greats to a current sensation named Julio Rodriguez. George, he's amazing. 21 years of age and all that talent wrapped up in that body and but it's the, it's the joy that he plays the game. It's his work ethic. It's, you know, what his parents did with this kid. You know, he, he's, he's got a smile on his face all the time. It reminds me of another young kid we had at 19 years of age back in 1989, Ken Griffey Jr. And I tell people I'm not going to compare the two of them yet, you know, but they played the game with the same way. Just like as a kid when I played out in the sandlot with my buddies, you know, that's that's the way he plays the game out there in center field and when he comes up to hit. And Junior was the same way, Ken Griffey Jr. And at the age of 21, rookie season, he's the American League Rookie of the Year, no doubt about it. Uh, you know, he, he goes out there and and the ball club looked at this young man, his ability uh, to play every day, uh, and, and they gave him a 17-year contract. You know, when they didn't have to do it, it's his rookie year. We've got this young man for a long time. But it's all about not only the talent, but it's all about this kid and what he brings to the organization and to the fan base and how he works so hard every day. Uh, they said, you know, we want to wrap this kid up for a long time. So he's going to be a Mariner until he's 38 years of age. So there's a lot of options, his options, ball club options. So he can go 12 years, 14 years, 17 years. And this young man is going to make a lot of money and he's worth every penny. I'd like to get your thoughts on some of the great Seattle players. First, and perhaps foremost to me, and likely to a lot of Mariners fans, the incomparable Ichiro Suzuki. Oh, my goodness. This kid, uh, you know, he was a star in Japan for nine years with the Oryx Blue Wave. But Ichiro was the first position player to come over. But we had no idea how good this young ball player was. Uh, his arm in right field is one of the greatest arms I've ever seen in baseball. Brown ball, base hit in the right field. Heading for third is Terrence Long. The throw by Ichiro. Beautiful, Peggy, get him! Holy smoke, a laser beam strike from Ichiro! The ability of putting the bat on the ball like he did so consistently, hitting the ball the other way, his speed, 
uh, his knowledge of the game of baseball, his knowledge of the history of the game of baseball. His preparation was off the charts. He did everything every day at the same time. And he was the catalyst for that ball club. And in 2001, the Seattle Mariners, with each row leading off, uh, the Mariners won more games than anybody in the history of the game of baseball, 116 games. And that's without Ken Griffey Jr. and Alex Rodriguez and Randy Johnson. And Ichiro, you know, was the catalyst. He was the guy who led off and, uh, you know, started a ball club off to their winning ways. Well, let's talk about another Hall of Famer, the big unit, Randy Johnson. Randy Johnson, pitching on guts, pitching on adrenaline, pitching on sure guile against the New York Yankees in this one. He was the starter just two nights ago on Friday night. Here's the lineup and the 2-2 pitch. Fastball strike three goal. He got him looking. Randy was the most dominant pitcher I've ever seen take the mound. His slider was so good against right-handed hitters. He would throw that slider to the back foot of right-handed hitters. They'd swing and miss, and the ball would hit him in the back foot. So Randy had his first no-hitter, career no-hitter, and uh, we had our first no-hitter in the history of our ball club. How about Ken Griffey Jr., who also had a cup of coffee with the White Sox? Jr. was the, the, the best player I've ever seen, the greatest player I've ever seen. At 19 years of age, made the ball club at spring training. He was the best player in the field, and he did everything right. And playing like he was playing in his backyard with his dad, eventually he did play with his dad the following year in 1990, which was, to this day, for me, one of the greatest stories in, in baseball, father and son playing on the same team, you know, in the big leagues. And then the story just got better when they hit back-to-back home runs a few weeks later. Fly ball sliced to fairly deep left center field. Devo White back to the track, the wall, makes the leap, and the old man has done it. One more time, fly away. Run truck, yes, yeah. 3-0 pitches hit deep into left center field, and Bishop will look up, and father and son have hit back-to-back home runs. My, oh my, it's that in your baseball history book. He played the game the way it should be played. He reminded us every day that the game of baseball should be fun. But Ken Griffey Jr., George, no doubt about it, in my mind was the greatest player I've ever seen. I love this kid, and I still call him a kid. He's 55, 56 years old. (laughs) If you want to hear more guests on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, all you have to do is go to Last Word on Sports on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to the many wonderful interviews we've done dating back to January of 2021. Finally, to a very talented and popular TV personality in Chicago, Ryan Cheverini. A sportscaster at the ABC TV affiliate, Cheverini has a twin brother who coaches college football, and a cousin who once fought Sugar Ray Leonard. He also co-hosted an immensely popular show called Windy City Live. It was during that show, Cheverini revealed the tragic loss of a brother. You had four brothers, but unfortunately, one of them took his own life some 14 years ago. He was only 20. Take me back to that time, Ryan, because I believe you were 30-something. Could you understand why this happened? how you coped with it then, and how you cope with it today. Yeah, worst day of my life, George. Uh, It was a Wednesday morning. I was due to go to Hellas Hall for Bears and got the call from my mom. And just, she was 
I, I knew something was wrong because I missed a couple calls. It was really early. And I remember hearing the phone kind of vibrate and I didn't answer it right away. And then I remember hearing it again and I, and it was like six in the morning and I answered it and it was just, it's like, I could replay that phone call in my head. She's just, you know, inconsolable. And so is my stepfather and, you know, they found him and it was, it was the worst. That's the worst thing a family can go through. And my brother was 11 years younger than me. He actually lived with me in college. I helped take care of him. I went to his parent teacher conference meetings because we had some family issues going on there and uh, took care of him. Like he was my son. So that I, I took a, a month off of work, George, I, I flew to Cleveland where they were living and you know, we had to go through that whole just agonizing, agonizing time. And and I didn't comprehend it. I didn't understand it because at that time, you know, mental health really wasn't talked about like it is now. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, so, I'm so happy to see where we have come. You know, we're not there yet, but, you know, just the, even the PSAs, it's okay to not feel okay. We didn't have any of that. Like when you and I were young, it was like, oh, toughen up, stop being a wuss. You know, you couldn't talk about feelings or being depressed. And, you know, my brother did not do any drugs or alcohol, completely sober, which is a huge misconception with, you know, committing suicide. Uh, he was going through a bad breakup at the time. And, but he, he was, I think he was bipolar and we could never really get it diagnosed. It's a very difficult thing to get diagnosed. And he was 20 years old. So he, he would have to be open to that. And he wasn't. And he was going through a tough time trying to figure out his life. You know, it took him an extra year to graduate high school because he was a class clown and wasn't great with school. Um, he couldn't figure out what he wanted to do after school. You know, he was going through a really tough time. And but we never thought something like this could happen. Never, 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 never. And it wasn't until it happened that I started educating myself about it because society really hasn't. You know, there was a long time standing in the media, as you know, that suicides were not even reported because they were too afraid it was going to entice other people to do it. Very primitive thinking. So, you know, I, I was I was silent about it for five years. Uh, I came back to work after a month and I'm thinking nobody knows except for people in the sports office. But it turns out years later, I found out everybody knew because you know how newsrooms are. <laughs> But nobody said anything to me about it, which I was good, which I was glad. And it wasn't until we did a show on mental health on Windy City Live that my producer, who had heard that I had a connection to suicide, asked me to share it. And it, it was the hardest thing I ever did on TV. My my heart was racing. I wanted to back out of that all the way up until we did it. Uh, I mean, my heart was just in my chest. and um, But I shared the story and it was it turned out to be incredibly cathartic and I started speaking publicly for American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and started sharing my platform because I just felt like I was doing a disservice to all the other families and people that have been through it and I, I remember reading Tony Dungy's book and Tony Dungy lost a son to suicide and I'm thinking mm -hmm. he was brave enough to come out and talk about this because there's a lot of shame and stigmatism you know there's a lot of big stigma with with it so to a family. And I had to talk to my mom about it and make sure she was okay and comfortable with me sharing that. 
But um, it, it's something that, yeah, we'll, we'll never completely understand because we're in the right mindset. To, we don't know what it's like to, to not want to live. But um, I, I always wonder what he'd be doing now. He'd be 35. And uh, yeah, I was just wondering what he would be doing now, if he would have figured out his life. But it, it's, it's, it's the most gut-wrenching thing you can go through. And I've dealt with a lot of loss in my life, but nothing like that. My great thanks to Ozzy Guillen, Chuck Garfine, John Bugshiambi, Rick Riz, and Ryan Cheverini for sharing some of their wonderful and difficult stories. And my thanks as always to the people behind the scenes that help make this wonderful podcast possible. TJ Reeves for putting us on the map, Will Hatzel for his crafty editing, Nick Tochi for our wonderful graphics, and to our new partner, Last Word on Sports. And to our presenting sponsor, Mr. Duct. You can find them at mrductcleaning.com. Tune in next week when we present the best of season eight, part two on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I'm George Hoffman, and that's all she wrote.